Cortland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Well, hi there. Don Wardlow here, your Baseball Lifer. You got an extra week listening to Bob Lutz of League 42, where they had had their statue of Jackie Robinson stolen and destroyed. I'm happy to say there was an arrest made in that case, and so hopefully the law will take its course. This week, it's going to be our tribute to Babe Ruth. We did one of those last year. We're going to do another one around the time of his birth. He was born February 5th, 6th, or 7th in the year 1894 or 1895. Why the mystery? Well, there was a great fire in Baltimore, the city of his birth. And a lot of the city records went up in smoke. And he went through his whole life thinking he was born in 1894. When ultimately a birth certificate was located, it said 1895, but he never went with that. So last year, around this time in February, I did a little tribute show for him, and I'm going to do another one here today. We did find something new when I was on my pilgrimage to Cooperstown. I found a nice Babe Ruth feature, and when I got home, I looked around for another source where I could find it and use it, and you're going to hear it in the midst of our program today. So you'll hear a record made by Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, and to wrap it up, a tribute paid by Yankee broadcaster Mal Allen at the time of Babe Ruth's death. That's what you'll hear on the Babe Ruth Tribute Show on the Baseball Lifer Podcast, if you keep it where it is. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down, and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an a rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860, 732-356-8860, courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. How do you, how do you answer the question, who was Babe Ruth? He was Elvis before Elvis was born. He was the Beatles before they were born. He was the first superstar. The word superstar hadn't even been coined yet. 
and he became the first one. The things he did in baseball stacked up against the players that he faced in his time were mythic accomplishments. They just don't sound real, even though they were. Because of that, it's become very easy for myth and reality to blend if someone wants to talk about Babe Ruth. There have been three exceptional books written about him. One by Robert W. Kramer, one by Lee Montville, and the latest of them by Jane Levy. All three of those are absolutely terrific books. All three authors said in the openings to their books how they had to dig through fact and fiction and try to separate which was which because the greatness of Babe Ruth made it difficult to separate the reality from the myth. The reason I'm doing this episode of the Baseball Lifer podcast at this time because he was born on February 6th, 1895, in Baltimore, Maryland. Babe Ruth's given name was George Herman Ruth. When he broke into the game, he wasn't the only one named Babe. There was a pitcher named Babe Adams with the Pittsburgh Pirates at that time. But what Babe Ruth would do would change the nature of baseball forever. Before he started hitting home runs, baseball was a very tightly played game. They called it inside baseball. Shall we say a a single to start a rally, then a sacrifice bunt, move over to third on a ground out, and maybe steal home. The home run was an afterthought before Babe Ruth. And you know, if it wasn't for World War I, He might never have become an outfielder and a home run hitting star. He was a pitcher early on. And before he gave up pitching, he had a 94 and 46 record and a 228 ERA. And most of that pitching was done from when he broke in in 1914 until 1918 when he converted to an outfielder because his team was ravaged by the draft, players going into the service, and they needed an outfielder. They needed somebody who could hit the ball, and Ruth filled the bill. Before he was done, he would hit 714 home runs. He would hold a record that would stand from 1935 until Henry Aaron broke it in 1974. He would hold the single-season record of 60 home runs from 1927 until Roger Maris broke that record in 1961. And in the American League, that record would stand until 2022, when Aaron Judge broke it by hitting number 62. So the record went from Yankee Babe Ruth to Yankee Roger Maris to Yankee Aaron Judge. When Babe Ruth went to the Yankees and started hitting home runs in earnest, the excitement he generated, the numbers of fans he drew out to the ballpark, and the love that he created for baseball 
caused new stadiums to be built larger and existing stadiums to be expanded so the fans could get into the ballparks. When he went to the Yankees, they still played in the polo grounds. And that old ballpark, even then, only had a capacity of 34,000. The ballpark was expanded to 55,000, which is how many it would hold for the rest of its existence. And then when Yankee Stadium was built, it was built to hold over 60,000. And before overcrowding laws came into being, sometimes 70,000 were shoehorned into Yankee Stadium for the World Series and for other major important games on the schedule. When you think about Babe Ruth, you think about him winning World Series for the Yankees. The fact of the matter is he won three World Series with Boston and just four with the Yankees. In Boston, he was a winner in 1915, 1916, and 1918. And in 1916, he pitched a 14-inning complete game to beat the Brooklyn Dodgers 2-1 to in what would be the longest World Series game for almost a century. It would take until 2005 for there to be a 14-inning World Series game again. And that would be the White Sox against the Astros. The first time Babe Ruth hit double-digit home runs was in 1918, when he hit 11. The year after that, he broke every record in existence up to that point by hitting 29. Some Boston journalist at the time said that having hit 29, that Babe would settle down and start hitting singles and doubles and triples instead of focusing on home runs. Well, he focused on home runs and still got more than his share of singles, doubles, and triples. He had over 2,800 base hits before his career was done. And when you think about that, he was pitching the first four full years of his career before he started hitting in earnest. After the trade over to New York, he hit 54 home runs in 1920 and 59 the year after that. And he would take another six years to hit 60, a record that would stand until 1961. The Yankees didn't win the World Series in either 1921 or 22. They lost to the Giants both times around. And The Giants manager, John McGraw, never was a fan of Babe Ruth and his home run hitting. He once said of Ruth that he would hit into 100 double plays in one particular season. From one story I've read about him that after McGraw said that, every time Ruth hit a home run off of one of McGraw's pitchers, he would wave at McGraw and say, hey, Mac, how's that for a double play ball? The Yankees won the 1923 World Series. They won the series again in 1927 and 1928. Those two, they won in four straight. The legend is that the the Yankees hitting 
scared the Pirates out of the 1927 World Series just by watching them in batting practice. The reality is the Pirates didn't watch the Yankees in batting practice. And the Yankees only hit a couple of home runs in that four-game sweep over the Pirates in 1927. In just a minute, I'm going to let you hear a recording that was made after that 1927 World Series was done. It was a 78 RPM record, and it was called Babe and Lou, the Baseball Twins. It was Babe Ruth, Yankee outfielder, and first baseman Lou Gehrig. The Bambino and the Iron Horse in that day of great nicknames. So stand by, you'll be able to hear Babe and Lou, the home run twins. Hello, Babe. Hello. You know me, don't you, Babe? I can't place your face, but your shadow is very familiar. I'm Lou Gehrig. Now do you remember me? Remember you? After the past summer, I'll never forget you. It's funny you didn't recognize me right away. I played on the same team with you all season. Yes, but you were so close to me, I was afraid to look back to see who you were. I gave you a great race, didn't I, babe? Boy, you ran me raggy. Listen, Lou, how did you get this talking home run? It was like this. I watched you and read how much money you were getting. And I got to thinking. Thinking? With what? Never mind about with what. I went to college. Columbia, in fact. You've heard of Columbia, haven't you? Sure, that's the college entirely surrounded with delicatessen stores and Yankee Scouts. How many years did you go to college? I was seven years in the freshman class. They can't keep a guy seven years in the same class. That's what I tried to tell them. What good did college do you? I didn't go to college, and look at me. I got further than you did. I know, but only six or seven home runs further. I'm young, yes. Give me a chance. Say, babe, no fooling. You were my hero when I was in college. How did you happen to pick on me? Oh, you shouldn't be sore, babe. There's room for both of us in baseball. Tell that to the enemy pitchers. Do you remember when I first reported to the Yanks, babe? <laughs> Do I? You were so green, the groundkeeper tried to go over you with a rake. I was just a raw student. I don't know anything about the student part of it, but I'll tell the world that you were raw. As a matter of fact, the first day you reported, I didn't see your face at all. I couldn't keep my eyes off your feet. What was the matter with my feet? They were so big, I thought I was standing on a couple of Chinatown buses. Is there any truth in the story that you sell old shoes for bungalows? Never mind my feet. I don't mind them if you don't. You're no Apollo Belvedere yourself. No who? Apollo Belvedere. You know who Apollo Belvedere was, don't you, babe? He's one of those new Washington pitchers, ain't he? Gee, but you're dumb, babe. Hey, listen, big feet. Don't you call anybody dumb. When you first joined the Yanks, you were so dumb, we had to put numbers on the players to let you know which side you played on. Gee, was I that bad? Lou, I don't want to be hard on you. You're a good kid, and I like you. But you were so dumb, you thought the St. Louis Cardinals were appointed by the church. I'll never forget the day Huggins told you you were to meet the senators, and you said it would be a great treat that you were always interested in national politics and even thought inside baseball was played in the house. You ain't so smart either. Say, babe, tell me something. Is it true that you eat 20 hot dogs during a ball game? That's one of those fool lies. Why, 20 hot dogs during a game would kill any man. I know it. A man would have to be a pig to eat 20 hot dogs during one ball game. Of course he would. Well, you didn't really believe that of me, did you, Lou? Of course not. How many do you eat during a game, babe? Nineteen. Hey, babe, you've taken off a lot of weight in the past few years. Look at my figure, kid. 
All you've got to do now is to diet 10 or 15 more years and you'll almost look human. Boy, I'm careful of what I eat these days. Listen, babe, you have a farm where you grow your own food, don't you? Yes, I have a farm. Is it a nice farm? Well, it better be or I'm out a lot of money. What do you raise there? Lots of things. Celery, for instance. Really? You raise celery? Of course. Why the surprise? I thought Colonel Rupert was the fellow that always raised your celery. I didn't say celery. I said celery. You know what celery is, don't you? Sure I do. I had a roommate once who used to keep me awake all night, eating it in bed. You win the China automobile. Say, babe, speaking of automobiles, what's the matter with you lately? You haven't hit anybody with your automobile. It's getting harder and harder. There are too many motorists around here these, after the same jaywalkers these days. I haven't read of your being arrested for speeding lately, either. I found a way to avoid that. How? When a policeman stops me, I autograph the car and give it to him as a souvenir. Gee, it must be great to get a half million dollars a year like you do. Money isn't everything, Lou. That's what Colonel Rupert said when I asked him for a raise. In this game, Lou, you must start from the bottom and work up. Say, babe, why did you start your baseball life as a pitcher? In those days, I thought a man should work for a living. Gee, what a great year the Yanks had this season. Not so good. What do you mean, not so good? We lost a couple of games, didn't we? Yeah, I guess I wasn't hitting. I've got to practice up this winter and bat better. If you bat any better next season, I'll put nails in your breakfast food. Listen, Lou, did it ever occur to you that you're getting a great break batting after me? How come? A pitcher is under a great strain when pitching to me. After I sack a home run, he's easy for you guys. Is that so? And how about the effect on a pitcher when you've nearly broken your back, swinging like a gate and struck out by a mile? He ain't so nervous facing the fellas who come up after you then, is he? Even then, even when I strike out, I do it so hard that I scare the pitcher to death. No matter how you cut that stuff, it's still baloney. Why, as a matter of fact, you get the break. How? When you go to the bat, the pitcher always knows that I'm up next. What's the result? He's so nervous, he puts one right where anybody could knock it out of the lot. Now I'll tell one. All joking aside, babe, what's the secret of home run hitting? How do you stand when you hit the ball? I stood flat on both feet until I met you. And now what? You've got me on my toes. Well, I'm going to keep you there, too. Hey, kid, lay off that big mouth stuff. I didn't mean anything personal, babe. Okay, Lou. I've got to be beating it along now. So do I. You know, we've been talking for the phonograph. You don't suppose you've broken the record, do you? Between the two of us, we've broken all kinds of records. Say goodbye to the folks. Goodbye. See you all next season. How will they know you when they see you? Well, they'll know you, won't they? Of course they'll know me. Well, wherever they see you, they'll know I'm the guy that's right on your heels. So long, long, folks. On the Baseball Lifer podcast with Don Wardlow, that was Babe and Lou, the baseball twins. Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Babe Ruth set a lot of baseball records. That's one baseball record. If you had it in your hand, you'd probably want to throw it up against the wall. That record didn't sell very well. Even in the Roaring Twenties in 1927, when it was recorded, it wasn't a sales success. One thing I should say about that record, the home run race they were talking about, Babe Ruth won it with 60 home runs. Lou Gehrig had... 46. It was a lot closer than that until the beginning of September. The Babe had 43 home runs as the month of September began. But that month, he went nuts. He went wild, as the expression might have been back then. Now you'd say he went ballistic. He hit 17 
home runs in the month of September. That just doesn't happen. There were only two hitters that have hit more than 17 home runs in a month. One was Rudy York, 10 years after the Bambino. Rudy hit 18 in 1937. Another man would not hit 18 home runs in a month until 2017, 80 years later. And that was Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees. In just a minute, you'll hear more of our Babe Ruth tribute on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Keep it where you got it. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down, and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860, courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast on our tribute to Babe Ruth. And this is going to be a two-week show. You'll be able to hear this anytime in the next two weeks. The next live edition is going to be two weeks from now on March 1st. So enjoy this while it's available to you. When we went to... Cooperstown, New York, there were my brother Bob, my brother-in-law Tom, my nephew Russell, and myself. One of the features they've got there is an entire room devoted to the Bambino, devoted to George Herman Ruth. Just about anything that might interest a baseball fan that has to do with the Bambino is there. And one of the things they've got, and the thing that grabbed my attention right away, was a loop of different Babe Ruth radio clips. He had a show of his own for a while, and he was also a guest on other shows. And the one that really grabbed me, and the one you're about to hear, was a very unusual thing for its time, for 1937 which is when this was broadcast, April 19th, 1937. The recording you're about to hear is a commercial, and it's done by both Mr. and Mrs. Babe Ruth. And in that time, that was unthinkable. It just didn't happen in the 1930s. Mrs. Babe Ruth was usually unknown. 
I had never heard her voice, and I've heard many of the recordings of the Bambino that have been made. But this was the first time, and this really grabbed me. And the people who were with me could tell I was pointing my so-called good ear so I could listen to, to hear something I had never heard, the voice of Claire Hodgson Ruth, the Georgia native, Babe Ruth's second wife. So it's Babe and Mrs. Babe Ruth in their home in New York doing a commercial on the show Lux Radio Theater. The first voice you'll hear will be a station ID, and then Cecil B. DeMille will introduce Mr. and Mrs. Ruth. This is KNX Los Angeles, the voice of Hollywood. Alibi Ike will be back in the box pitching for the Lux Radio Theater again in just a moment. For that moment, we will talk with a real baseball player, considered by many the greatest of all time, Babe Ruth. At this moment, Babe Ruth and his charming wife are listening in the trophy room of their home on Riverside Drive in New York City. They're going to speak to you from there. The Sultan of Swat and his lady, Mr. and Mrs. George Herman Babe Ruth. Thank you, Mr. DeMille. I would like to tell you that Mrs. Mill, Ruth, and myself are certainly enjoying the game you're umpiring out there in Hollywood. Joey Brown is pitching them right across the platter every time, and it's a great show from the stands there. At the end of the first inning, they made a point that certainly meant a lot to me. That was when they talked about Lux Flakes. I've used them for years to cut down on runs. Not the home runs that Babe Ruth hits either. I mean the stocking runs that hit me. Ah, oh, that's right, Claire. I saw a box of Lux on the kitchen shelf last night. Were you in the kitchen dieting again? No, no, no. I didn't even go near the icebox. I was looking for the sport page of the paper you threw out. You see, we're getting into baseball season very fast here. According to my scores today, my prediction of the last three or four days are showing that we're going to have a great season with plenty of thrills. Philadelphia Nationals beat the Boston Bees in the first game today. They played 11 innings and won by two to one. And in the second game, they won by one to nothing. The Athletics beat the Senators four to three, imagine, in 11 innings. Babe, if you're going to tell them who is going to win the pennant, I'm through. Well, I might be through myself. Suppose you tell them. Well, on his radio program the other night, I heard Babe Ruth say the Cardinals would win it in the National League and the Yanks in the American. But I noticed he made no predictions on his golf game. Have you heard anyone predict a golf game right? I've been playing golf for several years. I think it's a great idea for a ball player to have two sports. But even if he has two, don't try to combine them. But when you're playing baseball, stick to baseball. But on the off-season, I think golf is a great conditioner for your legs. That may be true, dear, but very often I've heard you come off the golf course saying, baseball certainly is a great game. All right, Clara, you win. Good night, Mr. DeMille, and thank you for letting us play on your league program tonight. I think if anyone deserves a pennant, it's the Lux Radio Theater League. Good night. Mr. and Mrs. Babe Ruth. Now, what I think is neat, I don't know if it was scripted or not, was in one case he called her Claire, which was her given name. In the other case, he called her Clara, which was his nickname for her. Robert W. Kramer 
in his book about the babe said that he nicknamed his wife Clara. And sometimes in the tradition of the 1930s, he called her mother, which is something I heard my grandfather do with my grandmother. He called her mother routinely. So the Bambino and Mrs. Bambino at home on the Lux Radio Theater. And before we play the recording of Mel Allen talking about the Bambino on the Baseball Lifer podcast, I'm going to share a few Babe Ruth stories that have always been favorites of mine. Whether they're true, whether they're false, they're great stories. One was the story of Johnny Sylvester. Johnny Sylvester was a little kid who was ailing in Essex Fells, New Jersey. And the Bambino was summoned to his bedside. And this was right before one of the World Series against the Cardinals. I believe it was 1926. And the Bambino was summoned. And he did what we would now call a meet and greet for the child, and he said he'd hit him a home run. Well, he didn't just hit him a home run. He hit three home runs in the next game of that World Series against the Cardinals. Johnny Sylvester recovered from his ailment, whatever it may have been. That's been lost down the years. But the next year, before one of the Yankee games, a gentleman came up to the Bambino and said, Mr. Ruth, I'm Johnny Sylvester's uncle, and I just wanted to tell you he's doing great. So the Bambino shook the gentleman's hand, and he said, well, that's great. Just give him my best. And when the man was safely out of range, Ruth turned to his team in general, who were standing around, and he said, now who the hell is Johnny Sylvester? Then there's the stories of Babe Ruth's called shot. Now, the most famous called shot was in 1932, and video has come out that pretty much debunks that called shot. But there's definitely one I've read about, which I've always thought was a great story, even if it didn't quite happen that way. Ford Frick would later become commissioner of baseball. But in the 1920s and early 30s, he was one of Babe Ruth's ghost riders. So before a game at Yankee Stadium, Ford Frick's dad was brought into the ballpark. And the game was getting long, and it looked to the babe like Mr. Frick was yawning. Maybe, maybe he'd had enough of the afternoon. And he never used anyone's name. If it was an older person, he'd call him Pop. So he went over to Mr. Frick the Elder and said, Pop, I'll take care of this game for you and you can go home. And don't you know, he hit one the next inning and that was the end of the game. And Frick the, the Elder told his son that he believed Bambino could hit home runs anytime he wanted. And the last story involves Mark Roth who was the traveling secretary for the Yankees for a great many years. He was the man that Lou Gehrig would later go to when it was time for him to stop playing his streak of 2,130 games. He would go to Mark Roth 
and tell him he couldn't do it. Mark Roth was traveling secretary for the Yankees, and the Yankees were in the midst of an extra inning game, and Babe Ruth was in the on-deck circle, and he saw Mark Roth in his box seat acting acting clearly agitated, and he looked over and said, what's the matter? And Mark Roth said, well, this game is going extra innings and the railroad people don't want to hold our train for us. And if you believe the Bambino said, well, I'll take care of that next time up, bang, home run, game over. And the Yankees caught their train. So those are the kind of stories that have grown up around the babe. I thought I'd share a few of those on the Baseball Lifer podcast. If I can take one more minute to go back to Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, they were the best of friends when they made that record in 1927 that we heard earlier on. As a boy, Babe Ruth spoke German in his household, and so did Lou Gehrig. And when Gehrig took Babe Ruth home to meet his parents. The Babe made a real good impression on Mom Gehrig by addressing her and having a conversation with her in German. She took quite a liking to the Bambino before the friendship between Ruth and Gehrig ended. Babe had even bought a dog, a Chihuahua puppy that he gave to Mom Gehrig. Before we close this episode of the Baseball Lifer podcast, I'm going to let you hear Mel Allen, the voice of the Yankees, the legendary broadcasting voice on this recording made shortly after Babe Ruth's death. Mel Allen talks about Babe Ruth, the ball player, and Babe Ruth after baseball, the man Allen knew personally. So stand by, you'll be able to hear Mel Allen talking about Babe Ruth. You know, I didn't know Babe Ruth when he was a player, not personally. I knew him like the millions of fans did and worshipped him like all the kids in my neighborhood did. I dreamed of the day when I could see the Babe play. And one summer, when I was just about 13, I traveled from my home in Alabama then to visit my grandparents in Detroit, and soon the Yankees came to town. Didn't take too much persuasion to get my father to take me to the Tiger Park, which was then known as Navin Field. My heart pounded inside with the realization that I was to see the babe in action. And then I prayed that he would hit a home run that day so that I would have something among my memories that I could cherish forever. But came the ninth inning and the babe had not hit a home run, and it didn't appear that he would have that chance, for the Tigers had a five-run lead, and babe had been at bat in the eighth. And the babe didn't figure too strongly on his getting another time at bat either because I saw him do something that only the babe could do. He came in from the outfield at the end of the eighth inning and went right by the Yankee dugout over to the Detroit dugout where the clubhouse runway was then located. But instead of going inside, he stopped and sat down on the Detroit bench while his teammates were batting in the top of the ninth. That was not allowed, of course, but the babe was different. Even the Tigers got a kick out of it. Only the babe could get away with something like that. The big fellow sat there joshing the Tigers when suddenly the Yankees began to rally, and before you knew it, the babe had to get up off the Tiger bench, go back to the Yankee dugout, put his glove down, get his bat. His turn was coming up after all. The babe stepped to the plate and with runners on the bases, slammed a line drive over the center field fence at its deepest point. 
The Yankees scored six runs to win the game, and the Babe laughed heartily while giving it the inimitable Ruthian trot around the bases. That was the Babe. Years later, I got to know him personally while broadcasting Yankee games. Many a time, I accompanied him on appearances at high school sports affairs and other baseball gatherings with the kids whom he held so dear. Always he talked about kids, how much he'd like to be able to do for them. He really loved them. It was great to be around the big guy. It was tough being around him when his health began to fail. I had the privilege of introducing him at the Yankee Stadium in 1947 when Babe Ruth Day was celebrated throughout the baseball world. And the ear-splitting ovation given him by the thousands was something I shall never forget. And the tan, top-coated, graying babe thanked the throng in his now husky voice. And the old-timers with the lumps in their throats looking on that day, guys like Ty Cobb and Tris Speaker and other baseball greats of the past were there to honor the greatest of them all. And the ailing babe was proud and happy. A fabulous fellow whose hold on everyone was magical and majestic. He was the king of SWAT, the king of diamonds, the babe. A few weeks ago at Yankee Stadium, I saw Babe for the last time. His uniform number three was to be retired forever in tribute to the Bambino. Many of his former Yankee teammates were there for the historic occasion. By now, the Babe was failing fast, but he beat back the pain that racked his body and appeared in the house that Ruth built for one more time. When William Harridge made the official retirement of the Babe's number and uniform, the crowd roared its acclamation of baseball's greatest hero. And while they were doing that, I walked over to the babe and asked if he wished to say anything. His voice now was almost completely gone. And the babe whispered, yes, I must. And then he stepped to the microphone at the Yankee Stadium and thanked the fans for the way they felt about him. A gaunt but gallant guy, thrilled by the roar of the crowd. The crowd thrilled and choked up by the sight of the man whose equal the world of sports will never again see. The babe was deeply touched and whispered his appreciation. There wasn't a dry eye anywhere. I'm sure there isn't now. That was Mel Allen talking about Babe Ruth on the Baseball Lifer podcast. And one thing I wanted to add to what Mel Allen had to say, the ballpark in Detroit that he described, Navin Field, became Briggs Stadium, and then it became Tiger Stadium on this episode of the Baseball Lifer podcast. We've been talking to you about Babe Ruth. You'll be able to hear the tribute show for Babe Ruth for this week and next, and we'll be back with you with another broadcast on March 1st, the first Friday in March as spring training begins to get underway. This is Don Wardlow for the Baseball Lifer Podcast, and have a good week. (laughs) 